Saturday, March 12, 5 o'clock p.m. New York City. This is Andrei Bogoslavsky. This podcast will be about creative attitude or how to keep your attitude and stay creative. What should be this energy of communication between your inner world and your outer world? How you should behave or how you should see the world around you, people, your immediate environment, uh, Step one, number one, the most important, you are a very special person. You're creative. You're one of a million. Everybody you meet in your life most likely is not going to be a creative person, and they will be envious of your creative ideas, ideas, and forces, the energy within you, the the prana, chi, or ancient Egyptian ka. This is the vitality, the libido, the energy of life. This is what makes life life. You understand? This is how universe expands in three dimensions plus time, the fourth dimension, and the evolution, the process of change, viruses evolve, people evolve. You know, my grandfather was a very different person. And a couple thousand years ago, people were very different. And 10,000 years ago, people were different genetically. Agriculture had changed our, our DNA, how we are. So behavior changed genetics and in turn genetics uh, change human beings as well and their influences from viruses and uh, 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 weather change, not weather, climate changes also. So human brain had evolved very fast in the past two million years since Homo erectus and so we have a big hardware uh, but we don't have the software. So this is why we have those psychiatric maladies. This is why a lot of people fall into depression, HDAD, don't know how to handle themselves throughout their lives, you know. People have compulsions, addictions, oh my God, all kinds of weird behavior that is not characteristic in animal world because animals, they 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 stay the same and they survived or they die out, for instance, you know. The, the, the mammals died out, all the gina, giant, giant mammals died out 12,000 years ago, you know, because they couldn't, uh, adapt to a changing environment and humans survived because we have a big hardware and if we put a little brain thinking, so-called f- turn on the thinking, or how do they call it in America, brainstorming, we figure things out. We create tools, with tools we conquer the world. Stone tool was a Swiss knife for two million years, and ultimately we attached the, the stone to a stick and it became a spear. And then someone had figured instead of throwing a spear, we can make a little tiny spears and use a bow and arrow and use snake poison to hunt. And the hunting became very, very successful. And people started reproducing, you know, more food, more sex, more sex, more children, more children, more food and more, 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 more of everything. And then they went to, you know, colonize the rest of the planet about 65,000 years ago, about the, big, the volcano exploded and covered everything with ash for a 100 years people barely survived they were eating sea started eating seashells you know the gene for to 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 eat oysters is in human dna and it's 65,000 years old people didn't eat seafood before 65,000 years ago but they started eating uh, shellfish 65,000 years ago and now we can eat it we we don't die of this bacteria 
Okay, that's all bullshit. Going back to creative forces. You are one with the universe. You need to dance the dance of Shiva because that's what the universe is. The now moment is a secret key to all of creativity and creative power. You need to be completely and totally focused on here and now in order to create anything substantial. If you're sitting there and fantasizing about the the, the, the girl you, you really want to date or the fight you had at school this morning, it's not going to work. You need to let go everything. You need to be completely present with your mindlessness, actually. Let go all the thoughts and perhaps apply only minimal uh, practical thoughts while you're painting and drawing. You're still in the learning process. First five years of art education, it's literally doing the push-ups and punching the the the, the boxing bag <coughs> because you're gonna get into arena boxing. You know, no sooner than five years. If you started painting abstract from the beginning and some gallery on downtown decided to give you a show, good luck. But no one will take you seriously. You understand? Art needs to have experience, message. It needs to have a substance. If you can, if you will continue your abstract painting, they will have a name for people like you. We call it hotel art. So it's a decorative piece, no more expensive than a thousand dollars, and they hang it above the couch in the lobby. And every three years or five years, they tear the rugs in the hotels and they throw away the rugs and the couches and your paintings. So your paintings are not going to survive as an artwork because <clears throat> you didn't mean to have an artwork. You just splashed some paint and created abstract and got $1,000 for it. So that's not what I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you how to develop yourself into infinity because I teach you mind is infinite, universe is infinite, you <coughs> universe because the way space-time curves, it curves like the surface of planet Earth. <clears throat> no matter how straight you're going to walk on Earth, you're always going to end up in the same place if you work in, walk in circle. So the same goes in the universe. So this is what makes universe infinite. If you're going to fly straight, you think you're flying straight, but even light in the universe doesn't travel straight. So universe is infinite by definition, but, but by the same definition, you are infinite. If you are infinite, if your mind is infinite, opportunities you have ahead of you as a creative person are infinite. <coughs> what does it mean practically <clears throat> down, down here in the studio? It means you're sitting there and drawing black and white pencil drawing of a, of a dog. Your dog is asleep on the floor and you're drawing your dog with all this hair and tail. And you're thinking to yourself, that the dog uh, uh, sniffing the candy wrapper in front of his nose and he fall asleep. It's so sweet. He loves the smell of candies. And you think to yourself, if you're going to not draw this candy wrapper, but glue it onto the paper, 
I say, go for it. And it's going to be a collage. It's going to be next step of your evolution. You understand? So I encourage you to take dramatic steps of discovery, technological discoveries. If you look at your drawings you did last year, last month, last week, and you think to yourself, well, the lines are all straight and it's all constructed, very architectural, very sort of straight lines. You understand? It starts bothering you. Everything is straight, like a chair in front of, in front of refrigerator and the refrigerator in front of the window, and it's all angles, straight angles, you know. And you're looking for something curvy, like a, like a fabric hanging there. And then you think to yourself, if I splash a little ink over this, well, preferably it's going to be expensive watercolor paper or at least thicker, thicker white paper. So you splash a little ink, okay? So it was a pencil drawing or ink or, or, or a black and white charcoal drawing, and you splash something, you tried something new, and the effects you saw amazed you. And then you thought to yourself, well, if I cover central in the middle part of the drawing, it's not going to get splashed, but only the areas closer to the edges are going to get little sprinkles. And if I use a toothbrush, the sprinkles will be very gentle. You go for it, try it, and you try that. And then you think to yourself, well, if I cut out a shape out of paper and use it as a negative stencil, which means anything I sprinkle on top of the stencil is not uh, is going to get sprinkled. But if I lift the stencil from the page I just sprinkled, it's going to be not sprinkled. So you're going to create this bizarre shape. Well, it doesn't have to be bizarre. It can be a shape of something, something significant to you you know, triangle, circle, or rectangular, pentagon, whatever. You understand? So try those little things. Be creative. If you want to throw some sand at your painting or at watercolor, there you are doing some watercolor, so some acrylic on, 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 on paper, and there is a little dirt on the side. You look at this dirt and clay, and you think to yourself, that's an interesting color. All of your colors are here on, on, your, on your works are so bright. They're straight from the tube, and on had been talking about developing sophisticated mysterious colors and you don't know how to do it or you're too lazy to do it and you take this dirt and you smoosh it into the painting into your work on paper I recommend not to paint on canvases first five years of your life not to waste your money basically I know, I know. Your mama would love to see some paintings on canvas, as they call it, real art. Cockapoo. Let's not call it art, first five years of your art education. Let's call it paintings, drawings, color drawings, color paintings, black and white paintings. You can paint acrylic black and white, and it's a painting, you understand? But it's not color, it's just black and white. So let's call it paintings, not art, because art, the definition of art, is a very, very gentle issue, you know, something might might not uh, look like art, but it is actually, it does something to you, and it, it sticks to your memory, and you don't know why years go by, you still keep thinking about it, because... It made an impression on you, and it was so silly and stupid at first when you looked at it, okay? So, uh, so I'm encouraging you to try to understand that 
You are a very special person. Environment, society for the rest of your life will be envious. And some people will be bug stubbers. They will piss you off. They will do ugly shit to you. They will snitch on you. They will, they will put drugs in your coffee. They will do all kinds of ugly shit. Be prepared. Do not, uh, do not be, do not uh, expect anything from this bug of shitheads. Oh my god! Everybody you're gonna meet is primarily a shithead. Occasionally you're gonna meet somebody who will become your good friend because they're gonna share their life experience, their pain. They're gonna open up to you and you're gonna open up to this person and you're gonna become friends and you might even marry this person. I don't know. Depends. Uh, you, you, what I'm trying to say, out of hundreds of people you're gonna meet, they're not gonna be art gallery dealers. If one of 10 gallery dealers will become your personal friend, like go out for dinner and talk about something else, about fishing, then good for you, but it's rare. It's rare, okay? Gallery dealer is not your friend. He is your customer, basically. You are a supplier of merchandise. You give him a credit of 20 paintings for a period of one month, and he will sell those paintings, pay his rent, pay his salary, and then give you 50% from sales. So he needs you. You're you are his creditor, basically. You're giving him a credit. You already think the paintings, they already exist. So you give him merchandise on credit, okay? He needs you more than you need him, to be true. Well, you sort of both need each other, okay? He has the clients, he has the location. You don't have the clients, you don't have the location. So you both need each other. But don't kiss anybody's butts, okay? Because when they come to you, when they start talking to you about so-called opportunities, oh, these amazing opportunities, all oh, these competitions, pay $20, we're going to look at five of your paintings. It's most of the time BS. BS. Nothing is going to come out of it. They want you $30, $50 because they will have thousands of suckers like you mailing in $20, $30. They're not going to look at anybody's artwork because they already know who they're going to choose to win the first prize and give a two-week show because it's a local artist or they already have the paintings in the basement so the artist doesn't have to pay for shipping and they don't have to ship it back, etc., etc. I've done it personally, and I know how it works. Uh, you as an artist, you need to have these wits about handling your business. You need to develop this absolute security and privacy about your creative process so you can go deep, deep, deep into intimate areas in your consciousness and subconsciousness and create from the deepest depths of yourself the symbols you paint. It's called symbolism. What you paint, the subject matter, it needs to be meaningful to you. I grew up on neo-impressionism where, where the subject matters are not that important, okay? So it's a landscape. So there are a few trees, there are a couple chickens, cows, whatever. It, it's about execution and, and more, more, more than execution. The subject matter in impressionism and new impressionism is light, 
color, I mean, light uh, uh, shown, expressed with color. So we, I, I am a colorist, you understand? First 10 years, I completely focused on painting from nature, never from imagination. Color, 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 develop color, sophisticated colors, painting at night, night landscapes where you barely see anything. So there are hundreds of different grays and darks, painting dirty, filthy snow, winter, and cloudy sky, so there are barely any colors, but they're beautiful landscapes, winter landscapes, sold out, oh my god, they're so abstract, the best collections worldwide, so what I'm trying to tell you, is the intimate creative process you have in your studio, it's your treasure. In fact, it's your secret. It's your secret. If some collector, potential collector, says they would like to visit your studio, uh, it would be much preferred if you meet them not in the workspace where you work, but sort of the room next door. Well, if you don't have a room next door, then make it a living room, or a hallway, so they don't have to step on your paint tubes uh, all over the floor, you understand? But if you don't have opportunity to meet them, if you are in a group studio, let's say it's a building with 100 studios, you have your little room, and these collectors you met the other night, they want to stop by, see what you got, of course, of course. So you need to clean up, uh, uh, first of all, vacuum, and refresh the floors, and every open the windows, and dust everything. But very important, if you don't want to sell certain paintings, you need to hide them. If something is not finished, if you're not happy with this old painting, hide it. You're going to be showing them only what you are proud of, you understand? And there is another group of paintings, which is a secret and very complicated issue, is the paintings that, from your point of view, technically are satisfying, but you just don't know what to think about them. They're sort of neutral to you, but they're completely well done, you understand? They're structured and happy and positive, and the message is there. Show them those too, because they're technically, you know, on the level of your of your experience today. So you, there is nothing you would like to change right now, as of today. So show them those as well. And absolutely, the paintings you are completely, totally proud of. And take my word for it, they're going to buy the ones that, or the one that, you don't think very highly about. <laughs> Ridiculous, I know. They might even pick up something 10 years old, you know, really old, and they don't care about your latest paintings. But the paintings you're not happy about, put them away. You understand? You need to figure those things out. And in order to learn how to choose which painting you're happy with, which one is total disaster, and which one is okay, uh, like really okay on a level, but you don't know what to think about it. You need to figure those things out. Nobody's going to help you to tell you the truth. Because when the gallery comes to pick for the show, they need to look at 100 paintings to pick 20 paintings for a solo show. Or if they if they come to pick for a group show, they, they want to pick three paintings out of 20 or 30 paintings. These are the numbers, okay? Statistically. The gallery doesn't want to see five paintings and pick five paintings. That's not how it works. You understand? 
And never tell the visitor that you sold so many lately and this is what's left because that's the stupidest thing you can ever say. You always say you're very proud of those works and this series you continue for a long time or you just started this new series. Tell the truth, you know. But <coughs> but never say that you sold out the best flowers and here are a few flowers left. No, no, no. Because <coughs> that, that's stupid. You you're, you're, will be telling people, you know, this is some shit that is left, you're welcome to buy it, give me money for it, so don't say that. Uh, You need to have very smart business attitude, you need to be very negotiable and flexible, Usually art collectors, individuals who come to your studio to buy art, they know they, they, they know how much is in their checking account and they know it's going to cost thousands of dollars. They're not stupid, you understand? They're prepared to spend. So let's say husband and wife come to your studio and they have in their mind, in their head, $3,000 no more. And the painting they need needs to be yellow, size 50 inches by 50 inches. They come to your studio and there is a painting, 50 inches by 50 inches, and it's yellow. But you are asking $5,000. What's going to happen? They will give you $5,000. That's exactly what's going to happen. And they will be the happiest birds on planet Earth putting this painting in their car. They will kiss your hands. Trust me, that's how it works. Because if they had $3,000 in their mind and you ask $2,000, they will be sort of disappointed. (laughs) It's like they have another $1,000 left, like don't know what to do with it. You understand? Do not disappoint those people. They know they want to spend three. You quote five, they will give you five. If they say, how about four, you say, how about 4,500, okay? So you knock off 500. It's not about negotiating, you understand? (coughs) But if you really, you know, step on it, they will give you five. If you really insist, but I encourage you to be a little bit flexible, you know, because they will come back and they, they, they will have this little attitude that you will always give them 5% off. If you ask for 5 you know, you will always knock off 500 <coughs> So they will ha- always have. But when you have a gallery show, you understand. Gallery needs to double your studio prices to pay the rent. And the collectors who already bought from you coming to your gallery show need to see double prices. So last year, they gave you $3,000 for something. They come to the gallery show, the same size painting, yellow, 50 by 50, is six or $7,000. They feel good. They, in their consciousness, realize they double their money because here it is by gallery. Second opinion is priced double, tripled than what they paid. This is how you need to handle your affairs with money and with your art career. 22 minutes. That's good enough. Good night.